cute. She loved that bicycle track. <laughs> I know. Well, two days after we returned, life started coming at us again. I know. I hate when that happens. I had shoulder surgery to repair a torn rotator cuff. That's right. And I'm glad the surgery is over. So how are you doing? Well, I'm in a sling for six weeks, and that's bugging. But I've hardly had any pain, and I've been able to discontinue the pain meds. I'm so glad, because that was a real concern. You know, before the surgery, I was really worried about the pain. Because you know what would happen? Every time I'd mention this upcoming surgery to people, they grimace and look at me with like, oh, my God, I don't believe you're going to put yourself through that. Why do people have to tell you how much pain you're going through? I don't know. One guy even said, I got one shoulder operated on, but I didn't do the second one, although I needed it because the first one hurt so much. No, you just want to say, well, thanks for the pep talk. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I know, but I was worried about the pain, too. Well, for a couple of reasons. First, of course, I don't want to see you in pain. But second, I was worried about you having pain meds because that can sometimes trigger a relapse. You know, it is a valid concern. Anyone who has spent any time in a 12-step program knows that pain meds, while initially are very helpful, can at times lead to abuse and, of course, relapse. I know, but I, had, I give you credit because you were on it and you took steps before surgery. Well, with something like that, you learn to have a plan. Yeah. And our plan was, I spoke to my doctor and told him about my recovery status. Secondly, I let a bunch of trusted friends in the program know what was going on. And lastly, I gave them, you to, do gave them to you to dole out to me as needed. I knew you wouldn't give me more than I needed. That's true. <laughs> and the moral of that story is to let as many supportive people in the loop as possible because it adds a sense of accountability. And luckily, after a couple of days, I didn't need them. Yeah. Well, that's about what was going on in my health. How about yours? I know. Because there were some issues there, too, weren't there? <laughs> Never a dull moment. No. Nope. Now, I'm doing better now, but it was nuts. I started coughing in the hospital while you were in surgery. And by the time we got home, I had fever and chills. The next day, I got a COVID test, and it was negative. But then the following couple of days, still with high fevers, the cough, chills, took another test, and positive, baby. You're positive. Stay away from me. I can't because I'm the one taking care of you. Yeah, no, I know. But the thing that's crazy is we've been together on the trip. I mean, we're together nonstop. All the time. All the time. All the time. How do you get COVID and I don't? I'm not going to question it. I don't, I don't either. Know. You know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll have it next week, but let's hope we don't. I don't. All right. So that's what we've been up to since our last podcast. As you can see, a lot is going on. So let's get to the reading for this and the subject matter for this episode. What we usually do is read an excerpt from our book, Live, Laugh, Fly. And this time we're going to do things a little differently. Chris is going to read a portion of the book. And then I am going to read a portion that I wrote right after she's done. And it deals with the time when we were separated, and we were both kind of working on our lives, but in different ways. With that backdrop, let's get to the reading. Chris? Yeah, thank you. This one is called Taking a Step Back. No, it's not. I'm sorry. It is actually called Moving Forward. Yeah, let's read the right one. <laughs> My daycare business kept me busy. I was taking care of several children, all on a part-time basis. Some children came a couple days a week. Others were there several hours a day. 
I prayed for a full-time job. One night, I received a call asking if I would watch a little boy five days a week, 12 hours a day. When they offered the price, I put my hand over the receiver while I did a happy dance. Finally, no more stuffing envelopes. That was a turning point for the business and for our lives. I was now capable of paying all the bills. I was so happy. I would work whenever anyone needed me. If a parent had to be at work at 6 a.m., that was fine. I had some parents who attended night classes and would not be able to pick up their child until 9 p.m. Again, no problem. It was not unusual for me to feed dinner to six kids. Wanting to improve my business, I took the classes and had the home inspections that allowed me to become a licensed childcare provider. Having this license also enabled me to get on a referral list for my county. I was now getting calls from the agency asking if I had any openings. This was great because I no longer had to look for the parents. The parents were looking for me. Kim Scott and I settled into a stable routine. Monday through Friday, Chris's kids' daycare was in full operation and Kim and Scott were always involved in the action. The children became like brothers and sisters, sharing in responsibilities and activities. In fact, many lifelong friendships were developed. Snack time was set aside for talking and sharing. On Saturdays, Kim and Scott enjoyed city-sponsored activities, such as swimming, baseball, or drama. I was also a Girl Scout leader for a few years. During the week, I was so busy taking care of other children that the weekends were reserved only for Kim and Scott. We loved to do hikes, bike rides, and picnic together. In the winter, a great Saturday night would be having a roaring fire in our fireplace, watching a movie and snuggling on the couch. The amazing thing is that all of this was free. Even though I was able to pay my bills, I was not wasting one dime. I had also become much stronger physically and emotionally. Living with an alcoholic for years was extremely draining. I was always focused on his needs and never my own. I remember bike riding with the kids one Sunday. It felt so good and I was having so much fun. Why didn't we ever go bike riding when we were married? Jean never wanted to, so we didn't. From then on, I swore that I would do things that made me happy. With each decision I made regarding the kids, our home, or the business, my confidence was growing. I was beginning to realize that I was truly happy. I also noticed something pretty amazing was happening. If one of my clients was leaving for whatever reason, I found myself praying. It was always the same prayer. Dear God, please help me find another babysitting job. Please, I'll work hard. I'll take good care of all the children. Please keep me strong. Amen. No kidding. Within a couple of days, an even better job would come along with more money and better hours. It always worked out. I used to say to Kim and Scott that my guardian angel was always watching over me. It wasn't until much later that I realized that, yes, maybe my guardian angel had a hand in this, but really it was God who did the heavy lifting. The stronger I became, the more I could do for Kim and Scott. After about two and a half years of single parenting, I had saved enough money to buy a small trailer on a campsite in the Berkshires, and it was less than a two-hour drive from our home. I was working more than 60 hours a week, and except for major holidays, I never took a day off. The campsite had a playground and a lake, which was perfect for us. We would leave on Friday after work and return on Sunday night. There were no phones, no television, just us. 
We would hike to a waterfall, ride our bikes, and explore the area. At night, we would make a campfire and tell stories and eat some moors. Sometimes their cousins or friends would come with us, but mostly it was just the kids and me. There were many trailers on the campsite, and I felt comfortable and safe there. We would go every weekend from Memorial Day to Labor Day for almost four seasons. When Kim and Scott were 10 and 8 years old, I surprised them with a trip to Disney World. I had been planning and saving for a long time, and I was so happy when it finally happened. That Easter, I put Mickey Mouse ears in their basket. When they saw them, I told them to put them on their ears that we were leaving for Disney in seven weeks. They were so happy. We flew to Orlando that Memorial Day weekend. The Wednesday before, I closed the daycare at 5 p.m. and we headed to the airport. We didn't get to our hotel room until after midnight. The kids quickly went to sleep and I stood on the porch outside our room, just taking it all in. We were at Disney World. I did it. We spent four magical days there and that was probably my proudest moment as a single mom. And now, it is your turn to read. Well, you are such a good reader. Let's see if I can do as good. <laughs> this is what I was up to in that period. In 1995, I had been in California for a little more than two years. I had bounced in and out of a few more rehabs. After an incident with my uncle's vehicle and a brush with the law, I found myself no longer welcome at his home and moved into a sober living facility in the San Fernando Valley, just north of Los Angeles. These are privately run residential facilities where guests pay by the week. The owners can evict you at a moment's notice and often did. This never happened to me though, mainly because I was a good tenant and a good payer. I met a guy named James at one of these places who helped me get a job selling printing supplies, inkjets and toners over the phone. I figured I would do this for a while I was, as I was getting my life together. As it turns out, I have an aptitude for this line of work, and 20 years later, I still work for the same company, Coast to Coast Computer Products. Little did I know that my life was about to change finally for the better. The job did not change my life, but the positive sober environment of that workplace made it easier to finally get sober. About this time, I joined an AA group whose members' experiences were very similar to mine. I certainly was not new to meetings, but for the first time, I became part of a group rather than a cynical observer. I learned to identify and not compare. Shortly after I moved out of sober living with James and my life seemed to be finally on track, about a year into working on my sobriety, I had one last nightmare with cocaine. The guys I lived with asked me to leave. I moved back into sober living where I stayed for about three weeks. During those first few days, I could not believe that I had ended up in this predicament again. I just could not stay sober. All I can remember thinking was, I can't do this. I need help. I dove back into meetings and did my absolute best to be honest in every situation, as well as to share openly. I don't know if I needed that last bout with drugs and the despair that went with it, but that was what it took for me. From that day to the time of this writing, I have lived a sober life. That is just one of the miracles we will share with you as this book goes forward. There were many angels in my life who showed up right at the right time when I needed them. Jim and Judy, a sober couple from my group, offered me a room in their home rather than staying in the sober living house. 
I was hesitant at first. Being a 40-year-old man, I should have been able to take care of myself. But when I looked back at what a mess my life had become, I took them up on their offer. I was relying on someone else's judgment rather than my own. Finally, I had a good job and a safe place to live. I was able to start sending money back to Chris in New York. It wasn't much at first, but it was consistent. Living with Jim and Judy, I always had someone to confide in, and I needed them. For the first time in my life, I believed that I had a future that was bright. The original plan was to stay with my friends for a year, but after about six months, we made a mutual decision that it was time for me to grow up and get a place of my own and be a productive, independent member of society. Shortly after the new year in 1997, I got my own place, sober and living on my own with nobody responsible for me but me. That was huge. One day at a time, I was making it. That's right. This was such an important time in both of our lives. I was building up my daycare business, and you were getting your life together and meeting the people who would be instrumental in helping you towards a better life. We were both trying to do what we needed to do. Although we were separate in every way, it was a time of huge growth for each of us in our own way. What areas of your life did you see the most, most growth? Probably the most was spiritually, because I came to understand that there is a greater power guiding me. And also, I could recognize my prayers were being answered. Also, independence. I grew so much. I was making all the decisions regarding the kids, the work, the house, my business. And also in even driving, because in our first marriage, you did the majority of the driving because I was more nervous. But with the divorce, I lost the fear of driving to places on my own. I was taking the kids to a lot of fun places. And sometimes we'd get lost, but we'd figure it out. And this was even before MapQuest. But since we were remarried, you've taken over the majority of the driving. And I'm good with that. Yeah, I think that was a good decision. <laughs> I think so, too. I don't really like driving. So I'm very happy being the passenger and taking care of the snacks. But all of this gave me much more confidence. So how have you grown? Well, obviously, I came to the realization that drugs and alcohol just could not be any part of my life. And I came to the realization that I hardly had all the answers. Relying on someone else's judgment instead of only my own served me well. Yeah. And how about spiritually? How did you grow? Well, the answer to that is a combination of your thoughts on a higher power guiding us and my answer to the last question, spiritual direction comes from a lot of different places. Sometimes, especially at the beginning of somebody who's getting sober from trusted friends. But as recovery progresses, intuition and gut start to play a much larger part. Yeah. And what does the process look like? Well, when someone first gets sober, they're expected to just accept certain truths. Like what? Like my best thinking got me to where I was and the mess I was in. And it might be a good idea to follow the advice of people who have been where I was and are now living sober lives. And what other truths? That I had to be honest with myself and the people around me. An active addict will say just about anything to protect his disease. Yeah, I remember that. And towards the end of our first marriage, I couldn't believe anything that you said. Hey, that's why I'm sure you were skeptical when I said that I was going to start sending child support. 
I was. I didn't fully believe it, but I was happy when you did. But then I also began to notice the changes in you. You were being consistent with payments and you were speaking to the kids on a regular basis. And I could see that you were trying. And you know, the thing that we often say is we're judged by our actions, not our intentions. Right. You know, right. And consistency is so important. Yeah. So let's talk about your trip to Disney a little bit. Yeah, it was great. It was so great. I remember when we first arrived, I was looking for our room and we're passing by the pools and the restaurants and we walked into mm -hmm. our room. Scott looked around and said, I can live here. It was a great trip. I saved up for a couple of years and totally surprised the kids. Still one of my most proudest moments. Yeah, it was a proud moment. And let me say this, there have many times in our relationship spanning nearly 40 years now that I have been proud of you, but that trip ranked right up there with the best of them. And we weren't on the best of terms at the time. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And yeah, things were still very tense with us. I was happy that you were doing well, but I was still angry with you. And also I was a little worried for Kim and Scott. Well, I understand you were worried. You had good reason to. Why don't you expound on that a little bit? Well, I was just afraid that Kim and Scott would be disappointed again that you would slip in your sobriety. How did you handle those feelings? Well, I was attending Al-Anon meetings and really, again, time was a great factor. The more that you were consistent, the less I would worry. So you mentioned time and here we are, gosh, 25, 28 years later, those were such transform transformative years in our family's history. They sure were. We both grew in our own way. Well, we both became more independent, healthy adults. But I've always wanted to ask you, do you regret our separation? Yeah, in many ways, of course I do. I miss times with our kids that can never be recovered, like your trip to Disney. But on the other hand, the time in my life was very important for, for my, my own growth. Some people may take issue with that, and I get it. Yeah, but what issues? What did people object to? Well, the fact that I moved to California so far away from my kids. I was just a distraction to them back then, though. It would have been, I, you know what, honestly, it would have been harder for you to stay in New York and try to get sober, I think, with the kids. But you know what, I think we had to go through what we did in order to become a stronger family. I don't regret our divorce. It's just part of our story. Throughout it all, we came to realize a strength that we never knew we had. I know, and a strength that will be tested in years to come. But more about that in future episodes. You know, so many families go through hard times and their actions may not make sense to the outside world. But if you think what you're doing is the right thing for your family, you need to tune out the judgmental voices and trust your own instincts. Family and friends are going to have opinions. That's just a given. And of course, they don't always keep them to themselves. But sometimes their advice is helpful. That's right. So you take what you need and you leave the rest. Well, folks, that is a wrap for episode six. We did it. We'll be back in July. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. As we always do, we'd love to hear from you. So please leave a comment in the section below if something resonated or do you have something to add to the conversation? We'd love to hear it. That's right. So as always, Live, Laugh, Fly is available on Amazon and 100% of proceeds benefit children's cancer programs. So that's it, folks. And remember... 
Love never dies. Love never dies. Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you. She is sure. She is sure. She is strong. She is